going to be sharing with you this morning. Um, Pastor Bob taught Grow Together this morning. And we have a little thing going here where when he teaches Grow Together, I preach. And when I teach Grow Together, he preaches. So I know this is the second week in a row that we've had a lady in the pulpit. <laughs> uh, yeah, whoop, whoop. Give a shout out. But I promise you my husband does preach. <laughs> Thank God, right? Um, and he will be back next week to, um, to the pulpit to share the word. He's obviously here. Um, so I'm going to start with a text. If you have your Bibles or um, your Bible on phone, you can turn to 1 Kings 17. And we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, now Elijah, the Tish." The Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Yum. <laughs> yeah, that would not be my ideal way of being provided. But So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's pray before I start. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word, God, and um, the promises that are in your word. I just ask today that you would help me that you would anoint me, God, that you would help me to present your word, not as I see it or feel it, but as you wrote it, and the message that you have intended for us in your word. 
God, just open our ears this morning um, and let us get what you have for us in your name. Amen. Ella, can I have that water, please, honey? Thank you. Let's give my daughter Ella a hand. (laughs) She loves attention. Not really. So, as we read, Elijah has prophesied to King Ahab that God is stopping the rain and the dew and that it will not come again until Elijah gives the word for this to happen. God then tells Elijah to go away to a place he has prepared, a new place where he will care for Elijah. Eventually, the water has run out from where he is in the first place. Um, I was laughing because I heard Steve Furtick. This scripture has been on my heart, and he was preaching. He was talking about dirty birds, and it was dirty birds. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly how I would feel, like these dirty birds are coming. God may choose some unusual ways to feed us, but the bottom line is Elijah was fed. He was taken care of, and God may choose some unorthodox methods to reach out to us, but he usually has a good reason. So he sends these dirty birds to feed Elijah, and eventually the water runs out at the brook, and God tells Elijah it's time to move. So Elijah travels, and he finds a widow who's collecting sticks. When he sees her, the first thing he does is ask her for water. The widow does not hesitate to go fetch some water. You need water? I gotcha. Go get you some water. But while she's walking away, the prophet throws out one more request. And while you're at it, get me some bread, please. This catches her attention and stops her dead in her tracks. I can just imagine her heart dropping as she hears the prophet asking, now not for something that's easily accessible, but for something that's going to be extremely difficult for her to give up. She responds to him with her truth. I don't have any bread. I'm collecting these sticks to take the very little I have and make one final meal for me and my son so we can eat. And then we're going to die because that's it. That's all we have left. Elijah's response is likely to make some of you mad. (laughs) I must warn you. (laughs) Because it would seem reasonable and appropriate that if someone is starving and you are a man of God, that you would empathize and get the girls some food, right? Uh, My son, I'll give him a little shout out, Um, he has always had a soft spot for homeless people. And when he's with his father, they they will stop. They will turn around on the freeway. They will go get food. They will take them to go get food. Usually my husband will do that if he is alone with with someone. And, um, but my son, we would see someone homeless and I would just be with him. And he would be like, mom, mom, he needs McDonald's. He needs, you know, I'm like, honey, I can't stop by myself and like go up to, you know, I'm sorry. So if we're on our way to the zoo the whole day at the zoo, what about that guy that was like, I'm like, the Lord will send the raven. I do not know. (laughs) I cannot stop. Dad will kill me. Um, But uh, Liam has this soft spot for the underdog, for those in need. And I'm proud of him for that. I'm glad that God put that in his heart. But giving a Big Mac 
is only an awesome thing if that's what God sent you to do. If he sent you to just give the Big Mac and you were his one meal and that was all he needed, that's temporary. But Elijah was not here to meet a temporary need. It was bigger than this. So what does Elijah do? Here's what he says first. Go ahead, do as you've planned. Go make that that bread. But before you make your final meal, first make me a loaf. And then use the rest for you and your son. This is the real reason I said Elijah's response is going to make you mad. Because I've seen this play out in real life. Because he didn't give her food immediately. Because he has the audacity to hear that she's cooking her last meal and she and her son will die. And he says, go ahead forward with your plans, but first then make me something. Wow. You may say, yeah, but this is in Bible times. But think about this. There are times when the voice of the Lord comes to us, maybe not in the form of a prophet, maybe just in the form of a nudge, maybe in the form of a scripture we have read. He comes to us during a very difficult time of lack, and he asks for something simple, and we joyfully offer it like the water. Sure, you want me to go up and give that new one a Bible so they can start reading it? I can do that. I got an extra Bible at home. And as we're walking away, he says, psst, stop. One more thing. Not just the Bible, but I want you to meet with that person every Tuesday and teach them how to read that Bible. Oh, God, you know what's going on in my life right now. I just don't have the time. Or maybe it's something much, much more difficult. But you feel like you're in a desperate time of lack and God is prompting you to give. He's saying it's time to give. We can almost get angry at God when he prompts us. I've been there. We act as if he doesn't understand our situation. How inconsiderate, how how selfish, how insensitive God knows what a crisis I'm in right now. He doesn't understand where my emotions are, where my finances are, where my family uh, situations lie right now. Does he not see me? And he's asking me to give? We can certainly get mad at people. We want to isolate and withdraw from giving, from serving, And as spiritually mature people try to remind us that's the exact opposite of what you need to do right now, we get angry at them. And we accuse them of being insensitive to our situation. Elijah isn't worried about what his response looks like to other people. He's not responding in the flesh. He's responding in obedience to God. Elijah did not come to give the widow temporary help. He came to show her God was a permanent provider. Just because this is an isolated situation, you're going to face something again, and I'm going to show you the God who will be there every time. He came to tell her that God saw her. 
And that as low as she thought she was, as little as she thought she had, God could still use her. In order for the widow to experience the trustworthiness of God's provision, she had to learn the principles of how God's provision works. Provision comes when we surrender. Siri's talking to me, and I don't even know how to talk to Siri. In order for her to experience the trustworthiness of God's provision, she had to learn the principles of how God's provision works. Provision comes when we surrender what we have, no matter how little it is or how much, and we choose to trust God and put him first. God carefully orchestrated the principle of tithing to specifically demonstrate the principle of giving and provision. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. God essentially says, Give to me of everything you have first. First, number one. And then I promise you will have more than what you need. Do you know that there is essentially like a money-back guarantee on tithing? And this lesson's not just about tithing, so you can like relax a little bit. Malachi 3 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. Can those of you that have experienced the blessings of God say amen? Amen. This principle works, whether it's with your money, your time, or your gifts. He set up the structure of tithing so we could develop a mindset. It's not just about an action. It's about transforming your mind to think the way that is true and right, which is this. We have no real control over what we have. If you think you are actually controlling your money, you're disillusioned. Because you can make all the plans you want and lose that money in a heartbeat. You, what you have, your home, your finances, your talents, they were given to you by God. And you don't control them. He has made a promise, if we will acknowledge that, that we will always have enough he wanted to institute this principle to show that if we surrender control and we put our trust in the daily provision of God, he will take care of us. When it comes to tithe, offering, whether it be financial, whether it be your time or talents, all of it, unless we give him control, will never be enough. Never. I often hear people say, the reason I don't pay tithe is because I don't have enough right now. You never will. Never. You'll stay right where you are. 
Or the enemy will allow you to become so high and so arrogant that your wealth will take you straight to hell. Those are the two, those are like the two extremes of disobedience. Some people say, oh, I don't tithe and look, I got a boat, I got a, okay, you're right, you do. But if you're living in disobedience, it's going to become a curse. Don't let the blessings of God become a curse. That wasn't in my notes. Let me find where I am. Hallelujah. Do you guys still like me? Anybody? Anybody out there? I got you like cupcakes last week. I have candy for everyone in my office immediately following the service. <laughs> in all seriousness. Um, I've heard people say things like, when it slows down, I will begin to do what God's called me to do. No, you won't. Nope. It never slows down. It accelerates. Right, Pastor Nip? It accelerates. I've heard people say, when I have a bigger house, I'll have people over. No, you won't. Nope. It's a spirit of hospitality. I was guilty of this. Was I not guilty of this? We don't have any, but we don't, you know what? I just decided, God, I want my neighbors, I want my friends, I want people to enjoy this home. You gave it to me. We have a little tiny ranch, we say, little tiny, but it's, it's nice. God's taking care of us. We open our doors to our neighbors, and I'm telling you what, I think every neighborhood kid, like, they just come in and out. They're like popsicles and push pops. I came in the other day, and two teenagers walked up out of the basement. I was like, whoa. Like, what? Whoa, hi, guys. I didn't even know you were here. And Ella's running around, and they get on the trampoline when we're not home. I'm like, have fun. We have opened the doors, and God has used a bar stool with four chairs to host children who need to feel the love of God. And I have loved, fallen in love with this house because of the memories that we're making cooking out on the back patio and just sitting and enjoying. And do you not know that God blessed us this year with an entire finished basement, with a fireplace and a family room and an office for Bob? and a God provided that. We did not have that. God provided that. And I didn't need that to be happy, but now he's expanding my territory, Right? Because more kids are coming into this basement. More people are coming over. We're talking about the Lord. We're sharing with them. Use what we have. Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. It's reciprocal. Give big, see big things happen in your life. Give sparingly, reap sparingly. Think big, dream big, pray big, love big, get big. Get it back. And here's the thing. We don't get to be like the spoiled brat sitting in the chair like, well, I gave and I didn't get back this. No, you don't get to call the shots. You give what God has asked you to give, and he will give you what you need. Right? Amen. 
The second point, Elijah, first, he gives her a challenge to give. Second, he gives a command not to be afraid. When Elijah told the widow what he wanted her to do, he starts with, don't be afraid. As someone who has battled crippling fear, I can tell you this. The character and nature of fear, it causes you to become very selfish and very self-protective. This is not my normal nature or personality. However, when I'm overcome with fear, it is self-protect. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to protect myself. As a youth, I did some pretty crazy stuff that was totally out of character. And as um, psychologists and stuff would say, you know, your daughter's rebelling. She's, my parents said, no, no, that's not her. She's so scared. She's doing these things to escape, to get away, to, to protect. And so I understand the nature of this. Some who have fear of not having enough, we will hoard to protect what we already have. You saw this a lot with people who went through the Great Depression or different situations where they experienced severe lack. And their nature is like to hoard everything because we may need these plastic baggies to reuse. And Okay, now I do have to admit during the pandemic, I'm like to Bob, Boy, my grandma was kind of right. Like, if we would have saved, like, the baggies, because there is no baggies. I cannot find baggies. And so there, there, I get it. When you have been through extreme trauma, you self-protect. What do I have to do to get through this? What if we don't have enough? What if we end up not having food? This is an attitude we develop from lack. Human nature is to store up to put away, to guard it, to look out for number one. But this is the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in order to gain, you must give away. Matthew 10.39 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Whatever it is you've got that death grip on, just loosen it up because it's bound to come away from you. If you give up your life for me, you will find it. Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There could not have been a worse time for the prophet to ask this widow for food. The widow may have been the kind of person that would usually give you the clothes off her back. She may be a giver, but now she has a son to look after, and she's preparing to die, and she only has a little bit for survival. It can seem cruel. I want to tell you that it would be cruel if things were as they appeared. If this was simply about her sharing her last little bit with God's special person, the prophet, and then die, that would be cruel. But God is not a cruel God. This was not one last sick test of obedience for her. 
It is so important that you develop a relationship with God and begin to learn his character and his heart. It is so important you get into the word of God and you read it and you understand it. Because the entire gospel is wrapped up in this. God has a plan. That is through the entire word of God. He starts with a plan. He ends with a plan that he sees through. Redemption. God wants you to know him in such an intimate way. His love for you. His tender care. The way he's never failed you. The way he walks with you. So that when you come into a crisis... You will not question God as a cruel taskmaster. But you will say, wow, this is so hard. But my God would not allow me to be here unless it was for a loving and a greater purpose. He has promised not only to take care of me, but to bring me out stronger and wiser and better than I was. That is who our God is. I believe it was Priscilla Shire who said, God is not out to hurt us. He's out to redeem us. He doesn't want to hurt you. Matthew 12, 20 is one of my favorite verses that I will share with people when they feel like they just can't take anymore. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He's not that kind of God. He's tender with things that are broken. If you're in a situation that feels hopeless and seems like you're being asked to do the impossible, I promise you it's a setup for a miracle. You may be in a place where you feel like you have very little. Everything inside of you is focusing on survival right now, on self-protection, on calculated use of your little energy. I have been there. I have calculated, like, I have to get them in bed in a half hour, and I don't even know if I can get there to that half hour. We have calculated use of our money, our sanity, right? Sometimes we feel like we have very little. Our flesh will tell us it's time to conserve. We have to back away, isolate. You've got to take the little you have, and you've got to hide it away because there's not any more coming. But like the widow, we have to take the little we have and start pouring. We've got to be willing to pour it out. Fear causes us to focus on what we don't have. Faith chooses to see the little we have as something that can be multiplied when it's given away. This is not your time for hiding in your tent, holding on to your last bit of oil. You may have health issues that limit you physically. That hurts. But do you have finances you could use to help other people? You may be in a desperate situation financially, but can you use your time to help make someone else's load lighter? Maybe you're limited on time because you're in a crisis. And your time is spent caring for someone that's ill. 
special needs children, something that keeps you in a hospital bed, sitting with someone else. Can you sing a worship song over someone while you sit? Can you pray over them? Can you think about people who are in need? The enemy will do everything he can to keep you focused on you. He will convince you you are released from giving of yourself because your circumstances justify it. Don't be deceived. Remember, the one who says those things is your enemy. He's not your advocate. It's not like, oh, he really gets me. He knows what I'm going through. I need a little rest. No. He knows that even though it's contrary to what your flesh believes, choosing to focus on good, choosing to focus on God's plan, choosing to continue pouring your life out for others is the only hope you have for joy and victory. It's not time to hoard. It's time to pour out. Third, Elijah and the widow learn it's never just about you. There are so many situations in our life that we would rather not go through. There's so much pain that I wish many of you have not gone through or you're not going through. But this life is not just about us. The things we go through are never just about us. There were many widows who were in great need right where Elijah was, right in his vicinity. Why this widow? Why leave town to travel to a foreign widow when there were people in need right around him? Perhaps it wasn't just about the widow. Perhaps God wanted to show Elijah something too. He had been confined to one area and he could only see the effects of what was happening around him. But the drought was impacting people that were far more reaching than where he was. There were other people suffering too. Sitting in your little spot can cause you to obsess over your drought, over what's happening to you, what's going on in your life. And we can forget that there are others around us that are facing the drought too. God had been providing for Elijah in isolation since the very first lack of rain. But it was time for him to move on. God would continue providing the food and the water Elijah needed, but it was time for a change of location. It was time for him to get up from his isolation and engage with someone else who had a need. Some of you have faced some pretty difficult situations some tragic circumstances. God has provided for you in a very personal and private way. He's fed you. You've rested. You've been fed. You've been taken care of. And now God is removing that sense of ease. And he's placing you in an uncomfortable state because it's the only way he can prompt you to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to move. You were fed, you were watered, the brook dried up, and it's time to move on to engage with someone else who needs to hear about this God that can provide. 
I think for the widow, God wanted to show her that even a prophet has needs, right? We tend to look around us at other people and compare our lives, compare our situations, convince ourselves everyone else's life is easier. Other families have it better. That family's perfect. That couple has it. They don't struggle, blah, blah, blah. Other Christians don't face the kind of struggles and temptations that I do. These are all lies. They're just not true. We are especially disillusioned about men and women who are spiritual leaders. It's not that we don't think that they face trouble, because we do. We know they live in the world and their, their car breaks down and, you know, they have issues. But we don't really believe that they face many of the temptations or weaknesses or needs that the normal people face, right? Can I share something with you? Some people, and usually spiritual leaders, if they're mature, they just carry their pain well. But be assured, every single one of us is carrying pain. Scars, things that changed us forever, things that changed how we perceived, things that expanded our empathy, things that helped us to have compassion, things that we have to fight that make us angry. We all face pain. Don't believe the lie that you have it worse than someone else. That's a mental stronghold, and you need to pull it down. That's pity. You need to pull it down. I believe God used the situation to open the eyes of both the widow and Elijah. God certainly had done something unique by putting them together. Each of them had a need they could not meet on their own. The prophet needed food and the widow needed a miracle. And bam. The, together, God met both of their needs. So in closing here, I just, I want to just kind of close this up and just review what God is, has been speaking through this. I mentioned earlier that the entire gospel is centered around the theme that God has a plan. I want you to know that even though the Bible is a huge, expansive plan for the world, that he has a very personal unique and intimate plan for you. I don't know what you're going through, where you've been, but God has got you. He's in this. He's here. His plan is not just to take care of you, but to use you to meet the needs of others. Your story is bigger than you, and your pain has a purpose. The reason that so many of us may be able to carry our pain well is because we realize that there's purpose in our pain, that we can use it, that we can use it for something good, and it makes it easier to carry when we pour it out. Come on. Thank you, Monica. In order for God to be able to carry out his plan, we've got to avoid focusing on the little we have. Quit focusing on what you can't do, what you don't have. And start seeing the destiny present in your situation. 
We have to continue giving. You have to give. We have to fight our fear and our instinct to hoard and to isolate. And we have to encourage ourselves that the need is not a symptom that God is abandoning us. It's not a sign of that. Rather, it's a divine setup for God to show up for us and use us to help others. We're just going to end with prayer. Um, and then I'll hand it over to Pastor Tim. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for what you've proven in my life. I am living proof of your miracle-working power. God, you have delivered me from life-altering, crippling issues. God, you have helped me to get through some of the issues that you have not taken away. You've shown your faithfulness in both ways. And I just ask, Lord, that your word would completely take root in our spirit. I pray, God, that anything that would uh, kind of be rubbing us the wrong way or would feel abrasive, that we would not push it away, but that we would take it in and just sit with you with it for a little bit and see if there's truth and allow you to soften us and minister to us. Pray for those who are desperate right now that you would remind them that you're here, that they're not alone, that the pain will not last forever, but that you have a purpose. God, we just thank you and praise you in your name. Amen.